Welcome to Slashers. This is Jason, and I'm here with my colleague, cohort, and co-host, Doug. Say hello to the mutant goons from beyond, Doug. Hey, Jason, and hey, all you mutant goons from beyond. That was a great intro, Jason. You know, um, I would have been more (laughs) tongue-tied, to be honest. Yeah, you did it great. Just like a cat drinking hot tea. It was great. Nice, nice. I've never seen a cat drink hot tea, I don't think. Yeah, I know. That's why you did it great. Oh, nice. So just imagine the picture in your head. It's like a one-legged duck that swims in a circle. You ever seen that? So. Oh, yeah, I have seen that plenty of times, plenty of times. So this week is going to be a part two of the challenge episode. It's going to be just me and you today. Jake had to bow out last minute, which is fine, totally fine. He's, he's pretty busy. So we are doing continuing on with the theme park carnival theme. And uh, Jake actually chose Waxwork 2 for you. And the challenge was also you have to, uh, was it write a sequel to Waxwork 2, Waxwork 3? Yeah, Waxwork 3. So, yeah, uh, Jake gave me Waxwork, and I'm like, well, you know, Waxwork 1 and Waxwork 2, they're just, they're so good in between. Like, basically, they're just one one after the other sure. there. So, um, and you said you've seen Waxwork before, right, right, uh, Jason? Oh, yeah, I've seen the first one several times. I've not completed Waxwork 2. Well, Waxwork 2, I mean, I, I like Waxwork 2 a lot. I remember as when I was young, I think I was like 10 or 11 when I seen this. Part 2 is a lot more of a uh, swashbuckling uh, adventure movie. Yeah. More so, like, there's really no horror in the second movie at all. No, it felt um kind of like a Moonbeam movie, to be honest with you. Like, for, you know, the full movies for kids, the Moonbeam movie? Yeah, That's yeah. That's what it kind of felt like to me when I was watching it today. Oh, definitely the budget falls in that same thing. In fact, they probably asked Charles Band, like, hey, Charles Band, after you use that set they used from Roger Corman, can we borrow that too? <laughs> can we just go to that castle? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But no, this was, um I actually, I mean, I hate to say it, like, I looked at Zach Galligan's IMDb and stuff. Um, This is kind of his last, like, bigger movie. He did a lot of, like, other, like, Smaller movies, like in fat, you know, all those like straight to like red box DVDs and stuff like that. Oh yeah, was it? So this was after Gremlins too, when this one came this out. This was, and it's funny because uh, Zach Elgin, he he got, I don't want to say he got buff, but he went and worked out a lot for this movie because he got really butt hurt. He's like, I got so depressed and so sad because when Gremlins two came out, Roger Ebert hurt my feelings by saying the only thing eating after midnight was Zach Galligan. Dude, <laughs> because, oh my god! Because he had a little bit of a uh, a gut in that movie. I'm like, Sheesh. it's not it's not bad. Come on, Roger Ebert, you're sitting down, you got fucking gorilla titties hanging out, and you're talking shit about Zach Gelligan on, on Gremlins 2? Low blow, low blow. Of all the things to criticize that movie for, which if Jake's listening to this, I'm sure he's like pulling his hair out like it's a perfect movie, but it's it's not above criticism. Eating, talking about Galligan gaining some weight, it's kind of a low blow, Ebert. Yeah, that, that's what I said too, and I, he's still buttered on this because on the Waxwork 2 uh, commentary on the Blu-ray, he, he still says, he's like, that's that haunted me, and I went to go work out as much as I could. I stopped eating bad, and, uh, and I w- wanted to play the hero role from uh, in Waxwork 2. So. Oh, gosh. Well, I guess that was a lot. There's a lot of weight behind those kind of reviews because that was syndicated. You know, people were still reading newspapers, and nobody reads reviews anymore. They just look at the Rotten Tomatoes meter, you know? Yeah, exactly. And and but I mean, that's just like the whole like Cheeto stained fingers kind of keyboard warriors that are like like oh yeah, I, I could work out so much better than that. Oh, this girl's like yeah. It's, it's like oh yeah. dude, look at yourself before you talk shit about other people. Jesus. <laughs> so exactly, exactly. But yeah, I'd never seen Waxwork 2. I remember both of them vividly being in the video store a lot. I didn't watch Waxwork till I was probably in my 20s for the first time, though. But I feel like I remember it being on Sci-Fi Channel a, a whole lot. You know, they would always do, like, marathons on the weekends. Um, I don't really remember it being on, like, USA Up All Night, but I'm sure it was. It seems like a, it both seemed like Up All Night movies. Yeah, yeah. It's, in fact, it's funny you said that because um, there's a channel called Comet. It's on regular in 
antenna TV. And, and okay. then it's also on like Roku and stuff like that. But Comet, um, yeah, it's all over the place. I've seen I've seen Waxwork two play on the TV on like you know regular antenna TV before. So <laughs> they play like a bunch of B movies and sci fi movies and stuff like that. So Waxwork two falls perfectly into that. In fact, Waxwork two is almost like Rick and Morty before Rick and Morty. They just go <laughs> through time back portals. In time yeah. And <laughs> But, yeah, so our challenge last week, we got to try to top last week because it was Mikey and Aid and uh, Micah, and Micah from uh, Damn That Scary podcast. So they were kind of throwing out the uh, double entendres and uh, just a fun <laughs> show to watch. Did you watch the video for the last week's episode? Yeah, it was actually a lot of fun to watch. I don't always – I watch the video sometimes. Um, they send us back at work, so I don't really watch YouTube videos that much anymore when I'm listening to podcasts. Yeah. But uh, if I'm working from home, I'll watch it. And it was like – it was nice to see the the, uh, the the video component back for the podcast. It's, it's kind of yeah, nice. Yeah, I'll do it, Micah. <laughs> there you go, Micah. That one's for you, sweetie. So – uh, poor Adrian had to keep, just constantly put up with that for an hour. Yeah, see, it's a lot different when you watch the videos. So for you people out there listening, watch the YouTube videos when we post these on YouTube because we only get like four views. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of work to, that goes into that shit. Oh yeah, absolutely. They were uh, quite animated. Those those people were on the last movie, the last episode. Yeah, and you just got to see Aid's facial reactions. Like literally, it's like, oh, man, I need more wine. <laughs> so to go through this. But, uh, yeah, so our challenge for this week here, I guess you said I was going to go first here, but, yes, as, as mentioned before, I got Waxwork 1 and 2. I guess I'll go through a little synopsis for Waxwork. Waxwork basically star has stars uh, Zach Galligan and uh, Deborah Foreman and a bunch of other cast from the 80s that all have their popped collars up in uh, great late 80s uh, fashion trends here. And the director, Anthony Hickox, I believe I'm saying that right here, but he was also the director of Hellraiser 3. So if you didn't like the vivacious gore and the over-the-top uh, kind of bad guy cackling that, that Pinhead gives, then you probably – actually, you might like Waxwork because I saw this movie – now, let me tell you something. I saw this movie on VHS as a kid. My grandma used to sell stuff at the, at the flea markets – and yeah. um, they had wax work, and so I remember at the bottom it said the uncensored version. I'm like, oh, this is cool. And Grandma's like, well, let's watch it. It's got all the universal monsters in there. <laughs> and I was young. I think I was like six or seven. So I have not seen any of the universal monster movies. And so when I watched wax work, I really fucking enjoyed this movie because this movie, it's almost like a loose remake of like the 1930s wax movies and then a little bit of House of Wax, but it's kind of its own thing. It's almost an anthology, but not really because it takes place in a wax museum. There's one guy uh, run by David Warner. So if you like David Warner as a bad guy, then, you know, he eats up the scenery in this movie. Yeah, yeah he's great. He's like a, he's like a evil Willy Wonka. That's what he looks like. Yeah. It's always he pops up in a lot of stuff. Like I know he's an ice cream man too. He's in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles too. Yeah, yeah. You see him in a lot of stuff. Yeah, he was even the voice of what I remember most as a kid was the brain in Freakazoid, or it was something in Freakazoid. Oh, I haven't thought about Freakazoid in a long, long time. Yeah, he was one of the bad guys in that, and I always, for some reason, that when I hear his voice, I'm like, oh, Freakazoid. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so he runs this wax museum, and uh, they they have a uh, a cult that kind of runs this. Um, yeah, it's just it's it's this short midget guy and then a big tall guy that looks like Lurch from the Adams family, yeah. and uh, they run it. But you don't really know why they have these evil deeds here. But they need six people to finish their circle of witchcraft, if you will. So with, at this <laughs> wax museum, everything's behind the marquees and it's different horror movie uh, wax sets. And so what they do basically, they have time portals set up in these wax sections, and if you go past the marquee, uh, then you get sent to that time and you get sent to that kind of scenery. 
of whatever it is. So like there's a werewolf one. There's uh, looks like a pod people one. There's a Marquis de Sade one. Uh, there's a vampire one. So these characters are all getting pushed into these wax containments. And they're getting sent into this uh, back in time. So, like, like for example, this movie is really fucking gory. Like, the Blu-ray is uncut. And, uh, yeah, I remember seeing this as a kid. And, like, I, I thought this was what Dracula was. You know, people's heads exploding. <laughs> guys on the table with their legs chewed off. And it's kind of campy. Like, it feels very almost like Evil Dead 2-ish sometimes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, when he's, he's like, oh, stab him in the heart. And then she, like, grabs a knife and sticks it in the guy's leg. There's blood shooting all over the place in this one. It, the werewolf, there's a werewolf segment that the first piece starts off with a werewolf, and this werewolf looks more like a shaggy dog, but yeah. I remember, like, that was my first time seeing, like, a. no, I, I watched some other werewolf movies before, but this werewolf rips a guy in half like a piece of paper, just shreds him in half, so I thought that was a really cool effect, yeah. and when I finally oh, watched yeah. Wolfman, I'm like, yeah, you know, fuck, what happened to the werewolf that rips people in half? I want the werewolf from Waxwork, not the Wolfman. <laughs> this is the real classic. Was this a Universal movie? No, this was Vestron. Oh, okay, yeah. They don't have quite the uh, quite the money to really bring out the Wolfman because I know Universal will go after you like tooth and nail if anything like those Universal monsters. Yeah, no, they kind of avoid it. That's why all the monsters sort of look different here. Uh, you do get the vampire one, but honestly, the one that sticks out, it seems to be the longest one, is the Marquis de Sade. Yeah. Uh, one that Deborah Foreman goes in, which I never found that horrific. I even found that kind of boring as a kid. That was always my least, when I watched that, uh, that was always my least favorite of the, uh, I guess, sort of the anthologies from the uh, the original one. Oh, well, you'd probably hate Waxwork too then, because the last 40 minutes is all in that Marquis de Sade period. Oh, really? Gosh. Yeah. <laughs> so, but there's some swashbuckling fun. Like, honestly, like, Waxwork 2 feels more like Army of Darkness more than anything. Okay. Yeah, so basically, the, all these people get sent in. Zach Galligan believes uh, the whole Nightmare on Elm Street route. He's like, wait a minute. If I if I don't believe in these things, they don't exist. So he gets sent into, like, the Night of the Living Dead wax set up there. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, so he basically says, like, oh, you don't exist, so you can't hurt me at all. And he escapes from that time portal with the zombies, and he ends up trying to save Deborah Foreman in the Marquis de Sade one where she's she, – oh, oh, Deborah Foreman's a virgin in this, by the way. So she's the virginal <laughs> character that wants the rich guy. And she's never had an orgasm before, apparently, because Marquis de Sade is in there whipping her. He's like, you're going to get an orgasm by my whips. Ugh. You know, all the, these French matriarchs are all just standing there going like, ooh, they're fanning their nuts or fanning their face <laughs> and then fanning their nuts while they're getting chained and whipped. And basically, like Deborah Foreman, she's like, she's like, man, getting whipped is so kinky. And so once Zach Galligan goes into the area, he pulls out his, uh, you know, old, like, rusty barrel. Uh, six shooter. Whatever. Yeah, six shooter, uh, pea shooter, really, even. And uh, Marky decides, like, oh, you really want to save her, boy? She got her first orgasm by the end of my whips. <laughs> so, so, yeah, that's kind of the dialogue you get. And yeah. uh, the greatest scene, honestly, like, I was so excited for this movie as a kid because after they escape, they realize, I'm like, oh, wait a minute, these things can't touch us because they're just in a different time period. And if we don't believe they exist, they can't kill us. So they escape. And then once they realize David Warner, the midget, and the tall lurch guy, uh, they push two more of their friends into the containment system. So they got the six bodies they needed. So what happens is the old people that were friends with Zach Galligan, I don't know where they came. They came out of a retirement home or something. (laughs) And they all break into the museum, and it's a full battle war scene when all the wax figures start coming to life. And literally, it's 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 like Saving Private Ryan with 
old people in wheelchairs versus universal monsters. It's definitely just as harrowing as the first 20 minutes of Saving Private Ryan, that's for sure. Yeah, you're getting old people's legs ripped off. You're getting babies blown up, well, evil babies. Yeah. You're getting the one guy in the back of my poster here. He gets eaten by Audrey, too. <laughs> you know, all these monsters <laughs> from all these movies, like, make an appearance. Yeah. It's sort of like, you know, in Cabin in the Woods, when they kind of did that later, where they kept throwing all the monsters at. Exactly, yeah. This this So this predated Cabin in the Woods, and if you like that ending scene where everyone's fighting in Cabin in the Woods, think of this, but the people fighting are a bunch of geriatrics. <laughs> <laughs> and then they just burn the place down. Yeah, and then I think David Werner has, like, the best like, kind of, like, reasoning. They're like, why did you do this? Why do you want to destroy it? Why do you want to end the world? And what's the reason? Well, I don't know. Someone has to do it. <laughs> that's his reason sometimes you just gotta have like because and you know like a lot of the movies like uh the others no i'm sorry the strangers they just you know because you're home it yeah but because. see that that worked there because it yeah. that makes it so creepy that's a home invasion oh this yeah. one is just why do you want to end the world in the universe i don't know someone has to <laughs> seems like a good idea at the time yeah it sounds like a good idea at the time and i just he wants to start a task i always finish <laughs> not to go off topic but there's this movie that arrow put out it's called death screams Okay. I was on my ass laughing when I watched it because it's it, it's not that good of a movie, but at the end, this fat sheriff, um, he kills the, the killer. Basically, it's just a guy running around with a machete, and he reveals himself, and he's like, he's just someone in the town. And when everyone says, why did he do it? Why did he do it? The sheriff just turns to the camera and says, oh. And, and then the <laughs> credits roll. <laughs> so, I don't know. That's pretty great. <laughs> so that's kind of like this here. Someone has to do it. But I think that fat sheriff was just, oh, I don't know. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Who knows? <laughs> and then roll credits. So, yeah, so basically you know, the, the the battle scene happens, and our heroes save the day by burning down the wax museum and shooting David Warner falling into a ball of hot wax. And Perfect. at the end of it, you get the zombie hand crawling, and uh, that's where Waxwork 1 ends. Waxwork 2 starts off with that <laughs> same crawling hand. Zach Galligan has lost some weight after being horrendously beaten up by Roger Ebert, calling him uh, a gremlin eating after midnight. That's so mean. It is so fucking mean. I couldn't get out. I'm like, really, Roger Ebert, of all people, get off your fucking ass. So, you know. Well, who am I to judge? Roger Ebert, you're probably in a better place. Yeah. And anyway, uh, that hand's going to the crawl. And uh, Waxwork 2 basically is a lot more tongue-in-cheek than the first one. And funny thing is, there is no wax in Waxwork 2. I didn't even think about that. But it also kind of reminds me of sort of like House 2. When, you know, House 2 went very, very campy. This yeah. was cartoony. This one kind of, when what I did see of it, this one did very much go like that, that route with it. It did, yeah. So there's a lot of, um, I don't even want to say, th- this feels, not even Evil Dead, this feels more like Army of Darkness with like the cartoony sound effects. Yeah. There's even like an Evil Dead homage to this here with the with the hand. The hand goes to Deborah Ford. Well, it's not Deborah Ford, it's a different actress. She didn't yeah. get paid enough. So she's <laughs> like, I'm going on to bigger and better things. Yeah, so basically, my favorite character actor of all time, George Buckflower plays her dad in a wife beater, and he's sitting down drinking a generic can of beer. It just says beer on it, the can. That was like... <laughs> yeah, it just says beer. Like it's like it's like someone printed it out from the printer in uh, Times New Roman and put beer on the can. So he's sitting there drinking with his with his fucking hole in his sock. He's like, "Where's my precious daughter, Ben? Hey, are you sneaking out? Your mother would be so pissed if she was here." Essentially, what happened is she doesn't realize the hand is on the back of her that got into the house. So George Buck Flower almost assaults her and slaps her, and uh, then you get the scene where the hand comes comes to life and uh, grabs a hammer and starts killing the the dad. Yeah. 
I guess she says like, "Oh, your stepfather." Yes, daddy. I'm your stepfather, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, uh, it's it's pretty mean, but yeah. yeah. So so he ends up getting bashed in the head with a hammer by the hand, and then it turns into like this cartoony thing where uh, it's almost like a Tom and Jerry cartoon where she's oh, grabbing yeah, the hand, and then the hand throws like mustard and onions and ketchup. And then, like, the background music starts playing Root, Root, Root for the home team. So it's like an old <laughs> baseball ball uh, oh, yeah. gag. Yeah. Like I said, it reminded me of, like, a, a Moonbeam or a Full Moon movie. And especially with the soundtrack, the score that I had, the song, the music that I was playing. I was like, this is, okay, so this is not going to be a serious movie at all. This is a straight cartoon, you know. Yeah, it's a straight cartoon. And I think it was because, like, this is, like, half the budget of the first movie, too. Sure. So, yeah. Which I understand, but basically, I'll give it into a nutshell, because there's a lot that happens in Waxwork 2. There is no real linear plot. They just kind of jump from time zone to time zone, because um, the Deborah Foreman character, I'll keep, Sarah is her actual name. Yeah. She ends up going to jail, because they find um, the, the dad's body beaten in with a hammer. So they take her to court, they're like, oh, well, how are you going to plead? She's like, not guilty, it wasn't me, it was a severed hand that came to life and beat my dad over the head with a hammer. <laughs> and she says, and Zach like, Galligan gets up in the middle of the court. It's like she did not do this. Yeah, no, Zach Galligan's—he's like wearing like a leather jacket. And he's walking in like a greaser, but uh, she has like the one lawyer character that's like, <sighs> maybe we could plead for the First Amendment or something. Like, I don't know. She's just <laughs> like, like what the fuck? I, I, in fact, I think I think it would have worked if the lawyer would have said, "Hey, don't look at me. Look at her. I'm not saying this shit." So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, there, there you go. That's a lawyer joke. So there you go, Jake. You got some uh, a law joke in there. So basically, they have to go. They go back in time because the old geezer that got his head ripped off by the werewolf in the first movie leaves a time compass to Zach Galligan, and so they go back in time to. Honestly, they just go back in time. They try to prove that it wasn't her that killed her dad. It proved that it was a hand. Although I never really figured out. I'm like, so why are you gonna go back in time to prove all this? Like, don't you have like? Now this is before video cameras and stuff. But yeah. it's like you still have that fucking hand. Yeah, it's out there somewhere. Yeah, and I believe I believe the judge is. The, I mean, the judge is pretty much the same thing as that judge from Ghostbusters too. It's like <laughs> this court doesn't believe in any paranormal entities or is just bullshit. We'll stick in you with the bill to uh, to fix the New York City. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. Because they cut the power. Ah, fuck. <laughs> so anyway, they they go back in time. It's a they go into a bunch of different scenarios. There's a Frankenstein scenario, which is pretty funny. Which is goofy, too. There's a lot yeah. of, like I said, a lot of slapstick Evil Dead 2 style stuff in here. They go into, like, an alien one. They go into a uh, one that actually Bruce Campbell's in this movie. I fucking forgot about that. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah Bruce Campbell's in the, the Haunting of Hill House, I think it's what it was. Yeah. But then it turns into Evil Dead because the girl that gets possessed, she has that same Evil Dead. It's like, we want to swallow your soul. And then uh, Bruce Campbell's tied up on a cross. There's, like, a bag of salt. She's trying to throw it at uh, Zach Galligan, but he ducks, and the bag of salt goes onto like Bruce Campbell's exposed chest. <laughs> so he has like the salt wounds, and she has like lemon, and she's just throwing like books, and it's hitting. So Bruce Campbell's getting a lot of the same slapstick stuff thrown at him. I'm always I'm always happy when I see Bruce Campbell pop up and stuff. Yeah, I am too. Honestly, it's like yeah, he's got more stuff, but they they always put him at the same. Like, Let's beat Bruce Campbell up. That seems to be his thing. So what happens in the most recent cameo if you've if you've seen uh. Uh, Doctor Strange. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I I haven't seen the movie, but I've I've he gets beaten up. And he's a hot dog vendor or something, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There you go. See, Bruce Campbell is Hollywood's pinata, the human pinata. <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah. So basically, and you said like you had mentioned before, if you didn't like the Marquis de Sade segment in the first one, then the last forty minutes is all middle ages. 
Marquis de Sade type stuff. They turn women into tigers for some reason. Like the last segment of it, I've never liked that type of style of, I don't know. I just always felt like, oh, it just feels so Roger Corman. Oh, yeah. Anyway, they, they end up defeating the evil of the Marquis de Sade uh, castle. And they end up going back to the courthouse. So all that huge adventure, they went to space. They went to haunted houses. They went to graveyards. They've went to the Middle Ages. And they come back just to go to court. And they're like, okay, well, we find you're not guilty, but you still have to pay your parking ticket. They're like, yes, we, we win. On to victory. You know, basically they have the time compass and they're like, do we want to keep living at our day job where we have to go to a fucking office 40 hours a week? Or do we want to go back in time and fight the evils of, of the time zones and stuff like that and go swashbuckling and fight evil? No. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I would. I mean, I'd fuck this office job. Yeah, I would go be a, a fighter for the time zones. Absolutely. It sounds much more fun than my office job. Just 40 hours a week, sitting there chilling. I, it's They just sent us back to the office, too. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. So what did you... um? So compared this movie to the first one, what would you... The, here's the thing. Like, it's so... It, it, it follows the first one up very well. In fact, yeah. I think it's so... It, it's such a good follow-up. People won't like it because there's no wax museum. And this one strips all the horror out completely. Like I said, if you're a fan of Army of Darkness and that style of humor, then you'll dig this movie up. If you're not... I don't think you'll like this one as much because sure. it's not really that good. There's a few scenes of gore and stuff like that, but not as much as I remember. Like, honestly, it's, it's a great beer and pizza movie. What's it rated? Is it rated R or PG-13? No, it's R because th- there is some gore now that I think about it. The uh, In fact, the one guy, he has a small bit role, and I had to look at, I had to look at the Blu-ray. I'm like, is that who I think it is? So basically after Grease 2, <laughs> the one lead guy from Grease 2 He's doing bit parts in, uh, in 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 the alien segment. Like the alien just pulls his mask off, and his whole face like explodes. <laughs> so I'm like, man, I'm like that. That's the guy that from Greece too. What happened? Your career got washed up. So, well, I guess a lot of people don't like Greece too either. So <laughs> I like Greece too. I thought that was a lot of fun, but of course everyone's like, you like Greece too. It's people that do like it. There's people that don't like it. There's not really a lot of like, oh, it's okay. I guess it's yeah. very, it's a polarizing movie for sure. Oh, it is. People get pissed at me when I say I like shock treatment more than Rocky Horror. I'm like, well, let's just no. That's a hot take. That's certainly a hot take. I do. I think the music's catchier. I like that new wave one more than like the '70s rock. Okay, I I seen Shockwave. I think I saw it. I was probably like 17. I haven't. I don't think I've. I've only seen it once. I haven't seen it since. So I can't. It's hard for me to remember what's in there. Yeah, well, it's kind of funny because Shock Treatment isn't streaming anywhere, so you really have to find the the DVD to watch it. But it's great. Like seriously, like if you like like really like obscure cinema, that's something to watch. Sure, I need to get on that. Yeah. Yeah. So now on to my challenge. Are you ready for the challenge? Oh, I'm totally ready for the challenge. All right. So our challenge was to write. Uh, well, mine specifically was to write an outline for my version of what Waxwork Three would be about. Yes. I call this one Waxwork Three Carrot Wax. <laughs> so basically, this is a uh, this is ten years later. Here we go. Ready? Sarah and Mark get married. After ten years pass, Mark now has a beer gut and looks a lot like Buck Flower did. He works at an old person's home because the stories he tells all excite the old people, and it reminds him of the days of the old people fighting the monsters at the wax museum. Sarah works as an insurance biller in a dull, quiet office. They both miss the days of swashbuckling and monster shenanigans traveling through time portals. They decide to renew their vows, and they want to do it in Wonderland, because they've never been to Wonderland before. And basically, they're like, man, we could go, to, we could go through the looking glass, just like Alice did. So, they want to have a party, and they, go, they want to party with the Mad Hatter and that, that bunny guy. <laughs> so, 
they break their oath of never opening up another time portal again, and they go and dig up their buried time compass and travel to Wonderland. In the meantime, the White Rabbit, who is always late, the one that uh, runs around, I'm late, I'm late. He sees them come through the time portal, and he realizes the time portal has some time to close. So he's pretty pissed off because he was just laid off his job, and he has a lot of anger towards the black rabbit that took his job. And he realizes <laughs> that, man, these other colored rabbits really piss me off because they're taking my jobs. So took he decides, jobs. yeah, he took our jobs. So this white rabbit, he's racist, and he fears that the great replacement <laughs> of white rabbits will be coming in sooner than later. So he gets the idea to jump into the time portal before it closes to get revenge in time on the colored rabbits that took his job. Wacky horror adventures ensue as the white rabbit power slowly crumbled into time and space since he is in the future fucking and sucking <laughs> basically everything that's going on and what he's doing is he's fucking all the people to make pure breed white rabbits Jeez. aka the conservative party <laughs> uh, <laughs> sarah and mark fight through a portal to begin to to regain the time before the white ra rabbit went through fucking up everything because everything the rabbit's doing in the future is affecting the past so wonderland yeah. is slowly becoming like return to oz decrepit and horrifying with monsters breaking through other portals there. It's such a good movie. Yeah, it is. It's a scary one here. And so they fight through different time zones. Uh, they end up tra traveling through the area of Sallow, 120 Days of Sodomy, <laughs> end up saving the kids in that movie. They end up going to fight off uh, Cthulhu and uh, all his HP Lovecraft minions, and at the same time rekindling their 10-year wedding vows while finally getting back to their home world and fighting off their white rabbit once and for all with shampoo testing kits. So they finally restore <laughs> Earth back to its 2020 self, and they realize they've saved everything. The White Rabbit's dead. All the time zones and all the different portals of time have been restored back to peaceful times. And then since it's 2020, uh, the pandemic just started. So end the movie there. <laughs> well, what could go wrong now? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that that's my uh, outline for Waxwork 3, Carrot Wax. That's pretty great. That's pretty good. I really enjoyed that. I was wondering how you were going to get the, the, the carrot wax involved into the uh, the outline there. That was pretty good. Topical also. <laughs> yeah, topical. And then I figured since it's a rabbit, the rabbits like carrots. Yeah. Oh, well, see, Waxwork 3 is such a powerful, uh, you know, script already. I went through a fucking time zone. We all we all basically cut back in time. We're out back here now. That's the power of editing here. All right, so we just had a few technical difficulties here, but that's the crazy thing with Waxwork 3. It brings you into different time zones, and though it's the wonder of editing, because now we're back in our own specific time uh, period here. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, man, so yeah, I'm sweating balls up here right now. The fucking heat in California oh, yeah. is going crazy. And uh, yeah, Anthony Hickox needs to pay me my money for Waxwork 3. Is he still making movies? I remember he was somewhat big in the 90s. Is he still... Making he was stuff? big in the 90s. He's kind of not doing much now. But funny enough, there is there was already a script made for Waxwork 3, but never got made. I doubt at this point he'll probably ever get any funding for it, I wouldn't think. No, it, it, it's like uh, like Waxwork really didn't make a lot of money. Waxwork 2 made even less money. So, But Waxwork 3, they were it was going to be Mark and Sarah. I guess it was only going to be like one time zone, but they were going to be in like uh, Merlin the Magician. They were going to be helping Merlin the Magician. Yeah, okay. I don't know. Anthony Hickox got a fucking thing with the Middle Ages. Like, dude, get over the Middle Ages. Did, did he also do Warlock? Was that him? Did he do Warlock? Was that a war? Was that? Maybe that was, that was that came out at the same time. That's Julian Sands. Maybe he did. He he likes that. Uh, let's see, 1989 Warlock. 
who the fuck directed this? No, Steve Miner did. Steve Miner did House and Friday the 13th. Uh, okay. I guess I was just confused for a bit. Yeah, no, it definitely seems like something he would do. Maybe they use the same props and stuff. They just use the same warehouse uh, for props. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. So I was challenged by you, Doug, to watch The Howling Six, The Freaks, because it takes place at a carnival. Now, I had actually watched these movies uh, about a year ago in the midst of the pandemic. I watched all of them uh, because I was like, well, I've got nothing else to do. I'm working from home. Let's just sort of uh, start marathoning some of these like lesser-known horror movie franchises like this. I did Watchers. I did some of the subspecies movies. There's several other ones I, mirror, I, I ran through. I, I mirror the, the Summer Party Massacre movies I ran through at some point. And The Howling is a, is a very interesting franchise, to say the least. It started out with the bang with Joe Dante's uh, The Howling, and then the rest of them are just like not connected or really bad to kind of very strange and odd. There's nothing else like the third one for sure, The Howling, the, the Marsupials. That's one of the weirdest movies I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> well, they're not even werewolves. They're uh, they're wear kangaroos. They got pouches, really nasty looking pouches. Yeah, so. and there's like that that scene in the hospital where they're that when where kangaroos going crazy, and then like uh, the you see the baby kangaroo coming out of her pouch. It, it's just a, a wa- watch Halloween three if you haven't watched that. Oh, I I love it. In fact, I watched that the other day. My brother came over and uh, we were watching. He didn't. I didn't tell him what movie we were watching. I just put it in the DVD player. And he's just like, what the fuck is this? Like uh, that when the werewolf comes, uh, not werewolf, the werebear, not a werebear, a were kangaroo, wereroo, uh, yeah, goes into the tent and he just blows himself up with the bazooka. I'm like, he's like, what the <laughs> fuck movie is this? Oh my gosh, this entire franchise is just, you, just wait a sec, the movies will get weirder on you. They absolutely will. Now the the fourth one, the one in the castle, I guess there's a werewolf in it, but it's more of a murder mystery. Yeah, yeah, the Howling 5 that was with the murder mystery one, yeah. The fourth one was basically a remake of the first one, though, right? I guess now that was. Yeah, with Melty Werewolves. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, you challenged me to write, uh, not to write, to watch the sixth one, The Freaks, which is about a, a drifter who turns out to be a werewolf. And the first 20 minutes or so of this movie is him just helping out a, a preacher put his church back together with some a really, really bad country music playing to montage. And then you finally get a werewolf transformation and meanwhile there's a, a carnival that's been t- taking place this entire time that has an alligator boy and a uh probably problematic transsexual character uh it's like half man half or carlita i guess was their name yeah it's a very progressive uh, carnival <laughs> and deep roy from um uh, all those charlie and the chocolate factory remake he was the only person i recognized from this movie oh man deep roy you know funny side note deep roy tried to open up a restaurant in downey california and it only lasted like a year because everyone would complain. Like deep, deep where he would be saying, he's like, try my food. And uh, it was known as the number one restaurant that gave people the shits. So it was clo- It was closed after a year, yeah. What kind of food did it serve? Uh, it served like Indian food. Like really, I mean, it, I guess it was, I never went in there because it was always busy because everyone's like, oh, it's Deep Roy, but everyone came running out and literally like, I'm sure people shit themselves in the street. I don't know. <laughs> but it was closed after a year, so you know. Anyway, there's one more, I feel like there's one more freak that I was missing. Uh, and, of course, the Carnival Barker, who you turn out is, is probably a vampire, is a vampire. And then you've got the shady mayor who's always asking for money and uh, for votes. I feel like, I was like, well, if you're watching this, you're probably not going to have many issues getting votes. You're, nobody's running opposed, you're probably running unopposed in this tiny-ass town, I would feel like. 
there wasn't that much gore in this movie. I was kind of depressed, but there were a couple really cool scenes, like when he first captured the werewolf to be one of his mood sideshow freaks. And then he was having the big, when he was showing it to the, all the townsfolk, and he was charging hand over fist to get in. But when he threw the cat at him to eat it after he had transformed into that werewolf, and then he threw it back to the Gator Boy because it was the Gator Boy's pet. So that's a, that's a really, really cool and interesting scene, you know, where you can see where, most time you see a werewolf, they're just werewolves. They just eat everything, you know, they're just beasts, essentially. This one has got a little humanity into it. This, this uh, version of the werewolf has a little humanity towards it. So it's just a little interesting than, than most werewolf movies, for sure. Yeah, and, and I like the fact that this one has, like, all the carnival, like, the, the carnival freaks, like, kind of team up. That's that's how I feel. Like, it's just, it's like a, a big entourage of it, too. Yeah, yeah, except for a, a Deep Roy, who's all very much in the, the pocket of of uh, the vampire character. Well, that's Deep Roy for you. I'll give you the shits of his restaurant. <laughs> now, did you do you remember what the vampire looked like in this movie? Have you? How long has it been since you've seen it? It's been a while. I have like a I have a Blu-ray three-pack that has Howling three, five, and six. It's been a minute, but um, I remember I have the VHS of it too. So it's, it's been a few years since I've seen Howling six. Oh, wow. so yeah, he looks like the creeper from Jeepers Creepers. That's like essentially what he looks like when he's turned into a vampire. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, uh, and then there's, of course, there's a, a werewolf-vampire battle. They duel it out, they duke it out, and it's really just a vampire, like, picking the werewolf up and throwing him across the room. And then, like, he just walks back over to him, and then he'll do it again, and then the werewolf's like, I can't, I can't beat him at all, I'm so, I'm so weak. But then the alligator boy helps him out a little bit, just long enough for him to uh, stab him in the throat and then get the sunlight to bring him in. It was pretty fun. It reminded me of Fright Night. You remember the end of Fright Night when they uh, opened the uh, thing and he kind of... The melting in this movie, though, was not super great. Uh, but again, it's a low-budget movie. You can't really fault it too much. At least uh, at least you did get to see one as opposed to not even get to see it. Like, cutting away from it, like, that's even cheaper and, and crappier. Yeah, if you were to complain, like, oh, though the effects in Howling 6 were so bad. I'm like, well, did you watch Howling 2 through 5? <laughs> I was about to say, what do you what did you expect going into this? Okay, you're not expecting Shakespeare here. You're literally watching the Howling Six. Yeah, this this was clearly made like the the interesting thing about these Howling movies is that the sequels were made for for people that either went to go to the theater. Well, these were a lot of these are straight to video too for people that didn't even remember the other Howling movies. They're just like, oh, there's here's a C. It says Howling in there. I believe the second one went to theaters. I think all the rest of them went straight to VHS. I watched, like I said, I, I marathoned uh, through all the other ones. Uh, this one of the series isn't that bad. Uh, it's not necessarily a good movie, you know, but I think of the series, it's it's one of the better ones. It's not The first one is obviously the best one. Uh, it has a really cool transformation scene, and Joe Dante is pretty cool. The second one is... Have you, how long has it been since you watched the second one? Oh, I have the second one on the, my out-of-print Blu-ray that's like 80 bucks right really? now. Really? Yeah, it's expensive, but yeah, that's... My sister's a werewolf, and then I think the other name for it is Sturbo yeah, Werewolf it's, Bitch. <laughs> um, yeah, which uh, Sybil Danning is in it, and uh, I think she showed her boobs one time, but in the end credits, uh, the Philippe Mora, the director, is like, oh, no, we didn't... We need to show her boobs more. So literally, it's her ripping her shirt open about 30 sometimes. Yeah, during the credits, it's like going with the beat. So every time the beat, the, the beat would drop a little bit heavier, it would, just be, it would cut away back to her taking her top off. And apparently she like saw that, and she didn't know he was doing that, so she like ran out of the theater in tears after she saw that. I was like, wow, that's pretty awful. It, it, but Sybil Danning, if, if you got it, flaunt it, you know what I mean? Like, And, and I mean, I've seen several movies. She, she certainly does a lot of nude scenes in her careers. But, I mean, yeah, but signing off for that kind of thing, I feel like they're like, that's totally exploit exploitative right there. It is 
exploitative, but you know why Philip Mora did that? Because people would rent the VHS. So remember back in the oh, days? Oh, yeah, absolutely. When you had to watch porn and stuff, you had to rewind it and then stop, play, go, and then rewind. This one was just like, oh, I'll just watch the ending credits to Howling 2 where she just keeps ripping her shirt off. Yeah, or when you would always hear stories about people would have to keep replacing Fast Times original and wide because people kept uh, rewinding to the uh, the pool scene. Like, why does 54 minutes, why is there cum stains on this tape <laughs> reel? It's not 54 minutes in. It's just, compl- it's just nothing but like a magnetic tape throwing up on your, uh, your television at that point. <laughs> yeah, you see, it's like, oh, when you watch it, the magnetic cum goes on the TV. And it's like, oh, there's my kids. Hi, kids. <laughs> so, but yeah, back to Howling Six. There's some good things to it. The werewolf makeup. I don't. I keep going back and forth, but like it or not. Uh, again, you can't. It's hard to to be heavy on these kind of uh, cheap, cheap, low budget werewolf movies. Now, I will say the uh, the transformation, the first transformation, is pretty bad. It's lit really, really darkly. It's clearly just kind of stuffed some pillows in a shirt and said, "All right, just kind of act like you're in pain." <laughs> and uh, they like they focus on his foot changing. But it was like uh, almost like he was wearing pantyhose the entire time, and he was kind of shaking it around. I've seen better with even you know cheaper, low budgeted. If, even from this franchise, there's better transformation scenes outside of the first one, of course. Like I said, if you're in, if you want to watch the Howling movie, I would say as far as sequels goes, this is probably the best one. I'm trying to think of anyone that might. The very last one, New Moon Rising, I guess, isn't that what it was called? Yeah, yeah, that one that never even has an official Blue DVD release or anything. Yeah, I mean, it's on Tubi right now. That's where I watched it on, and it's, I mean, it is quite the the movie for sure. I, it doesn't really make any sense. It's very super cheap. I don't know. It, whatever for, for whatever reason, I really enjoy it because it's just so fucking stupid and weird. Well, I've seen bits and p- all I remember is line dancing. Yeah, there's a lot of line dancing. Like, he's just a, a an Australian guy who winds up in the uh, like southwest of North America, and there's nothing to do but go to a bar and line dance. And then there happens to be some werewolf that might be killing people, but you don't really know. And they just assume that it's this new Australian guy who everybody really seems to like, but he's the only new person in town that could be doing this. If you want to go down the, the howling rabbit hole, you know, you've got to watch all of them. They're all crazy. But that one's the, that one takes the cake out of like, just being like, just like, this is just weird. I don't understand anything that's going on here. And the reason I go, oh, is not because it's like, oh, it's a bad movie. It's like, fuck, you've piqued my interest. I love shit Oh, me movies. too. I yeah. love horrible movies, so... Howling Seven is one I gotta. I want to try to track down a VHS of it now because I gotta. Anything that's up utter shit and it's just like that's right up my alley. Gotta track down Howling Seven now. Lord, actually, you want to know what's considered a bad movie? I, I bought this at, at Best Buy for you video people. It's called The Howling Reborn, and I remember watching it. And I'm like, what the what the fuck is this? I want my motherfucking money back. It's it's literally just Twilight. It's Twilight. Yeah, they yeah. took the Howling, and it was right. I mean, I guess I can't blame them too much. It was right in the midst of you know Twilight Fever. But you watch, I was like, this is just bad, bad, really bad Twilight, and it doesn't make any sense either. I was like, this is just dumb. Like I don't know if you could see, but it looks like like a novella werewolf transformation. That girl doesn't even have teeth, and she's like, ah, I'm gonna look mad, but I'm gonna look hot and blonde. So <laughs> as long as I look hot and blonde, and I don't have any makeup messing up my face, I'm a scary werewolf. Yes, so uh, Netflix is supposed to be remaking The Howling with uh, Anthony Machete, the guy who did uh, It. Okay, well, that could be kind of interesting to see. All the Howling sequels are so different. Um, It's like, who cares if there's... Just name it Howling 10 or whatever, I'll watch it. It's almost like the Hellraiser of werewolf movies where it's like, sure, this is a sequel to to The Howling, whatever. Just just throw a werewolf in there and it'll be a we'll slap the howling on it and it'll be okay. You know? Yeah, the next one, they just gotta put a werewolf taking a shit on the cover because... I th- one of the hell I bought the hell run of the Hellraiser Revelations I think it was just for the cover. Uh huh. Oh, is that the one where it's like his his profile? Is that what that one is? 
He's pissed. He looks like he looks like he's taking a mean constipated shit. That's why I bought it. Oh, okay. Yeah, I do remember that one. Yeah, and that was is that the first one that didn't have Doug Bradley? Yeah, that's the first oh, one. So Pinhead's taking a shit. I never thought about that, but that's exactly what he's doing. He is taking a mean constipated shield. That like, that's what it looks like. It's like, mm, you can even see, like, some of his veins popping and, like, the sweat coming down. <laughs> oh, gosh. That'll be, that's one of the, uh, the your, uh, your suffering in hell would be exquisite. It's just Pinhead taking a shit in hell. It's awful. Just awful. <laughs> He'd probably say, child, not even I could think of such punishment. Oh, do you have a favorite in the franchise? Uh, the Howling sequels? Uh, the Howling sequels? I do. So, I, I, I really like the, the original Howling, of course. I'll, sure. I'd say that. But um, out of all of them, I'd really have to say The Howling Three is the one that I gravitate to the most. It's it's certainly a wild ass movie. Like that was a wild movie. It's like eighty minutes, and I'm watching it like ten minutes in. I'm like, holy shit! Like I feel like a whole movie just passed me. There's so much stuff going on. Vampire ballerinas. You get uh, Barry Humphreys. You know, it's just, there's so much fucking shit going on. They're they're making a, a movie that I don't understand if half the time if I, they're making the movie or this is part of the movie too. They're trying to mind fuck. Yeah, you the one guy's bit. like, oh, you look so beautiful. Uh, we're making the a uh, Blood Munchers Seven, I think it's what it's called. We're making Blood Munchers Seven. I'd love <laughs> you to meet the director and so we could cast you. And the director is actually Philip Mora, and he's playing like a Hitchcockian. Uh, director and he has like the big sunglasses and the the one casting agent's like like director director here 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 she is she isn't she beautiful he's like do you want to be an actress young lady and she's like no and then he just stares at her he's like good i like a woman who's smart no (laughs) (laughs) and uh he's like he's like can you perform all these crazy stunts and being covered in blood she's like yeah i could do all that i don't really want to but i'll do it i like a woman who's honest I'll see you. Like, imagine if that was like a job interview nowadays. Just say the chins, and the boss just says, "Oh my god, I like yeah. a woman with talent like that." Jesus, yeah, that'd be pretty awful. That'd be pretty awful. Howling's it's a it's an interesting series. I would say give it a watch. Maybe if you're looking for other franchises that you haven't really watched before, give it a watch. Yeah. You know, how many times do you need to watch probably a thirteen? Yeah, watch the other Howling know? sequels. Like uh, the the VHSs are all really cool, but they're all on Roku on Tubi. So if you have that, I all the secrets. Yeah, all the sequels are on Tubi, so... Doug, you challenged me to write a Howling sequel in the vein of Howling 3 that does not have any werewolves in it. So, I did a, a quick little outline of Howling, I guess, 9. I believe I called it uh, Blood Moon. Ooh. The, the movie doesn't have anything to do with the Blood Moon, but I just figured <laughs> it's a werewolf movie. So, Act 1. Main character Maya travels to a secluded resort nestled along the banks of the Amazon River. With a few of her friends, she is meeting her brother, who it is apparent she hardly sees and are not very close. The resort caters to many teenagers and early 20s folk who are taking a break or a gap year in college. Many wind up taking extended stays, and uh, the resort is run by an eccentric millionaire, Stevie, from Central America, who travels on a couch with workers carrying him on his shoulders. He talks very slowly and never seems to have a solid direction. Our characters assume it's because he's always stoned. Often seen with paraphernalia on the couch. I said a little note, I feel like have this played by Jeffrey Combs giving okay, a little subdued performance. <laughs> Even though Maya came with friends, she uh, tends to go off alone because she likes to uh, lead a solitary life. Um, so uh, Maya's friends uh, include the typical horny couple Brad and Anna and a somewhat cocky guy Paul that's best friends with her brother Miguel, who was also there. The siblings have basically fended for themselves since they were grown-ups and only see each other on these annual trips they go on. They also meet a few party kids at the resort. One is Tommy, who is uh, backpacking across South America. 
there are no hammocks at this place. Uh, if you want to sit by the water, you have to climb trees, which is a very popular part of this resort. Michael Ironside is the maintenance man. He has to be the only worker that has any initiative there. One of the newer folks they meet sneaks onto the trees at night, and uh, while he's drinking a couple beers, he is immediately slashed with three toes across his chest. Uh, as he falls down, he hears a voice that says, I'm coming down. Very, very slowly. And then Act 2, Maya begins to notice the laziness of the proprietors and how many just seem to lounge on the trees all day. Some even seem to sleep in them at night. Paul and Tommy one afternoon are roughhousing as, a, as the others look on. Tommy throws Paul at the tree and it begins to shake and a branch even falls off. This greatly upsets Michael Ironside character and says the owner is not going to be happy about this at all. Uh, Maya begins to notice all the murals on the wall and ask eccentric owner about them. He says it comes from the indigenous tribe who lives there long ago. They worship these giant sloths who would become human during the day. They would sacrifice young adults to them every year to keep their fields healthy to form. Also, it was the people's duty to protect them from giant jungle cats. The sloth poop would help fertilize their fields. And at this point, Stevie hits the joystick, and he just kind of moves away, and it's his little uh, cart. It's at this point that Paul, who is pretty upset about being yelled at over the tree, he uh, sneaks in overnight to vandalize the tree. And uh, he is uh, after as he's about to, uh, Michael Ironside comes up to him and uh, stabs him in the shoulder and says, For the poop. <laughs> uh. And then Act 3 is, uh, Miguel wakes up, Maya, to ask if she's seen Paul. Paul says he hasn't, uh, hasn't and says to see them. They start to talk about their past. Um, how they only meet up once a year, and uh, how they all both live alone still, and uh, they both admit that they do enjoy their sibling get-togethers, though. At this point, Tommy, along with Brad and Anna, run into their rooms and tell everyone that they shut the fuck up. They all went crazy. Uh, they look outside, and then all of the, uh, the maintenance workers and the owners are just murdering all the kids inside. And then you see a couple of giant sloths that come down to start eating people. They grab Maya and Miguel and all of the other ones, and uh, as they're uh, having a dialogue about what they talked about earlier... Um, Maya and Miguel begin to change, and they turn into giant were-jaguars, and they eat everybody alive. <laughs> Ooh, man, you so... Insane. That, yeah. that's insane. <laughs> See, there you go. Howling 3, you did it. Well, I gotta tell you, you sold me on Michael Ironside. Yeah, I, I figured that would be a big selling point for everybody, for sure. Yeah, people would be like, is this a Canadian movie? Like, <laughs> Canadian werewolves. Canadian werewolves in Central America. Yeah, <laughs> see, there you go. Take that, American werewolf in London. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. But, yeah, that sounds good. See, I, I thought it was going to be were-sloths yeah, at first. Yeah, it was were-sloths, but uh, then they were eaten by were-jaguars. I was like, what What, what kills jag- uh, sloths at first? I'm like, well, I guess jaguars in Central America. <laughs> see, the were- and then you could go with the, the the jaguars are eaten by some cougars at a bar and then become were-cougars, just a bunch of middle-aged women in, like, leopard print with big fingers and say, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Were-cougarsonly.com. Yeah, were-cougarsonly.com. It's like the best MILFs on the planet, were-cougars.com. So, well... I think you did. I think I think we outdid the other people on the the last episode. What do you think? We are going to need them to vote though, and they're going to need to vote for our episode because it is a superior episode over to the Aid Mikey and Micah episode. I do believe. Yeah, so vote for us, or I'll kill you. <laughs> <laughs> With wear jaguars, jaguars wear sloths, and uh, for the poop. Yes, for the poop, and we're also going to be looking out for a, a replacement of a white. Oh yes, rabbit, yes, yeah. The course. the white rabbit. Uh, the, I'm late. I'm late. So yeah, don't believe that white rabbit. Uh, you know, white rabbit. Uh, what what, did, what what was he doing? He was trying to do the Great Replacement. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. Yeah. 
I just don't understand. I don't understand. No, that's okay because Mark and Sarah from Waxwork will uh, rule with an iron fist and go back to the Middle Ages to fight the White Rabbit from Alice in Wonderland. Doug, where can everybody catch you? So yes, you can catch me on B Movie TV on Roku. So if you have a Roku, uh, B Movie TV is a free channel to download. We show a bunch of great movies. It's all curated, um, either public domain or stuff that just is really really obscure. Um, we just showed a bunch of crazy movies, and we usually show them before Vinegar Syndrome or like Severin even put out their films. They, I think, they probably watch B Movie TV and they're like, "Oh, you know what? We got to release this movie <laughs> here because this needs a good restoration." We got to, we got to get restore the Revenge of Billy the Kid. That's what we got. Yes, do. Revenge of Billy the Kid. That that's that's one of my favorite like obscure movies. Like no one even knows about that movie, and we played it on uh, Grandpa Oates Cinema Woodchipper, which is Sundays yeah. at 10 p.m. Well, I don't play Grandpa Oates. I, I, I have some other geriatric that plays a perverted old man. Um, and he <laughs> goes, it's kind of like we do skits and stuff like that. And we have a really obscure movie that we tag along with it. And then I also do Friday Night Action, Fridays at 8 p.m. on, on B Movie TV, where I show a bunch of obscure action exploitation films. Um, Saturday Night Tears is at 10 p.m. with Yahira or Jake. They have episodes that switch on and off. Sure. Yeah, Jake's in syndication, so you get some <laughs> of his uh, classic episodes. He's like Roseanne now. Ooh. Yeah, he's not, not in Roseanne's situation. Uh, the the original like, run of Roseanne, not the... The original <laughs> run of Roseanne. And I'm like, man, what year is this? Is it 1989? No, it's 1997. What the fuck? So, when they got the lottery. Remember when they won the lottery and they moved to L.A.? Oh, that's when the show went down the gutter. Yeah. Get the... Fu- yeah. yeah <laughs> that season sucked. I, I used to love Roseanne. But, uh, yeah, so that's that B-Movie TV. Catch us on Slasher's Podcast. Give uh, Damn That Scary a listen to as well because Micah and Greg, they, they have a great show as well, too. Absolutely. Yeah, they're very obnoxious, which I love because I don't have to drink coffee in the morning at my office job. I just listen to Damn That's Scary and it peps me They'll get you pumped. They'll get you pumped. Um, yeah, and we have a – Slashers has a red bubble page also if you want to follow us on Instagram. Also, if you like and rate us. You can actually rate podcasts on Spotify now. Did you know that, Doug? I did not know that. So now, see, we all learned something new exactly. here. So go ahead and vote for us on Spotify yeah. and, and Amazon podcast reviews and Apple. Yeah, wherever you listen, wherever you listen to us, YouTube. You know, wherever you listen to us, just give us a like and a rating. Yeah, definitely. It does help out the al- algorithm. There's also a red tube. I'm sorry, not a red tube, a red <laughs> bubble. <laughs> uh, well, we could probably be on red tube. We, we've talked enough about that in the carrot wax section. I do remember people were posting. Uh, so you couldn't post, you know, videos of YouTube anymore, like movies, like action movies. But they were so they were posting them to like a uh, porn tube sites now because nobody was looking for them on those. Oh yeah, well that's like in, on Pornhub's comment section, people are exchanging pie recipes. And <laughs> oh stuff. yeah, I've seen some of the, some subreddits about like uh, like Pornhub comments. I was like, what? Yeah. What is this? Speaking of which, I'm hungry, so I probably want to go home and make a cream pie in a bit. So. All right, all right. So glad you could be with her, Doug. They had a lot of fun with this challenge. It's clearly a superior challenge, and uh, this is. Slashers. So goodbye and good die, goons.